The following episode contains some language that may offend some listeners, but we wanted to keep it in the podcast because it speaks to the real lived experience of the Aboriginal people living here in Australia today. Hi, my name's Christian, and this is Aussie Rideshare. I quit my corporate job so I could spend more time with my amazing daughters and have incredible chats with regular people here in Sydney. Because life's too short not to do something you love. So the next celebrity chat. I'm very excited about this one. And I've just finished at the gym, so I'm a little bit hot. I'm trying to cool down before I get to Ultimo to pick up a critically acclaimed Australian author, Anita Heiss. And I get to have a chat with her for an hour while I pick her up from Ultimo and take her to the airport because she's been here on a whirlwind launch of her latest novel and I won't even begin to try and do it justice by saying its name. I'll get her to do that later and I'll try and repeat that as best I can. So I'm looking forward to that. I hope you enjoy this next celebrity chat and I'm ever so grateful for those people that get in my car. And I'm looking forward to the next instalment of what the podcast looks like with the rebranding. So let's have a look, see what Anita has got to share with us over the course of the next hour. And I hope you enjoy the podcast. So only four minutes away now from Anita. I'll get out and say day to her, having never, never met her before. I'm looking forward to the chat. So the phone is on silent. We don't want any distractions. Radio, here we go. She's got a teal coat. I'll just let her know I'm just turning the corner. But very exciting. Critically acclaimed author. Can't wait to get her in the car to understand what her journey's been like and what she's done. But just here on Broadway. But here we go, turning the corner and looking for Anita. Number 46, there she is. I'm gonna give her a hand with her bag because I'm taking her to the airport. That's the quid pro quo. But I'm gonna take her for a journey, maybe through to Bondi. See some sun. And I have one for you. Oh! Yeah. Book exchange. Okay, so I'll wait till you jump in. Yeah, what's it doing? How does it work? So oh, I, no, I've, I've had a look at your, I've had a look at your Insta account. I've awesome. done a bit of a Google and whatever. And you're on, you're on some morning show recently. Today Extra, in the car, oh, on a current affair. Deadly. And awesome. Sydney Morning Herald. Now, how do you pronounce? Let, let me let me try and do it. Let's uh, do this on the podcast. This is the podcast. We're already going. Oh, we're already going. Yeah. Do you edit it? A little bit, but that's all right. Lucky I haven't said anything. I've done my preamble of having about you getting in the car, which is awesome. I'm really grateful for you jumping in. Thank so you. what I thought is we might head towards Bondi. Okay. Um, I know we need to be at the airport at three o'clock. Okay. I'm an Uber driver. I know. Trust me, I'll get you there for three. Okay. Um, okay, so I need a heist. So Bila Yarad... Uh, actually, I'm not even going to do it. There we go. Okay. Bila Yaradanga Galangdurai. No, it's not bad for a first effort. It's Billa Yarodanga Langdure. Yarodanga Langdure. Go R- again. Roll the R. So Billa. Billa. Yarodanga Langdure. Yarodanga Langdure. That's, that's good. We're getting there. You're getting, We're there. getting there. We've got an hour to get it right. Rightio. Okay. All right. Do you want to know so, what it means? Well, we will get there in a second. Oh, I'm okay. going to give you my book because I oh. give this to each of 
It's not mine per se. Okay. I give this to each of my guests that get in the car and it reflects a lot of my childhood. Am I opening it now? Please, yeah. Live to air? Yeah, let's do it now. I'm shaking let's do it. it now. Yeah, Being a dad, you know, shake yeah, it, smell it. it. Oh, I, what, it. I wonder what it might be. Well, it's, a, it's a book. It what might be a football. About? I don't know. But it's you know what? The, when parents used to do those when we were young. Yeah, it was a CD. Were you, ever, were, were, you, say, were you ever young? Yeah, well, once. <laughs> I'm <laughs> a lot older now, that's for sure. Oh, can I tell you something? So I just did this talk at DDB. Am I allowed to do any promo yeah, here? Please, please, I yeah, did a talk. This, is, this at, is your hour. Yeah, I just did a talk uh, for Net Reconciliation Week at DDB Advertising. And, uh, like, I don't know, maybe there was 120 staff that came in at lunchtime. It was great. Anyway, this beautiful young woman came up to me. She said, I was sitting there thinking, I, I know you from some, I know her. And guess what? <laughs> she was in a, a writing workshop of mine when she was in primary school. Okay, that, that, that hurts. And I that said, hurts. I thought she was going to say, because what people usually say is, I I read one of your books when I was in primary school. <laughs> so I go, oh, how old are you now? 28. Yeah, that hurts. I have to get my jacket off. Yeah, Can please you put do. the aircon on? Yeah, aircon on. We'll crank it up. We'll crank it up. And so anyway, so that was, but that was really lovely. So this is. This is... Now I see you've got the, oh, we'll get to that in a second, okay. but you've got yep. the, the Aboriginal brooch. I've got a flag, the flag brooch on yep. my jacket. It's from House of Dizzy. So get yours, get earrings. Yeah, so that's gorgeous. What do you Wear that. Okay, that beeping is because we are on Broadway. And you're unbuckled, trying to get get my jacket off. Okay, because it's hot. Because Mr. Uber driver is saving his fuel. That's fine. I'm not saving fuel. (laughs) I was. I had this cranked up. Don't worry, but I left the gym. I'm half open my present. Hang on. Okay, you finish the present, and we'll get into the conversation. I like presents. I didn't know I was getting presents, but I'm glad. No, and and that's a nice surprise. All right, oh, Fortune Life by Abby Facey. You give everybody in the same book? Everyone the same book. Because I, I was given that when I was 17, when I was yep. kicked out of home by my grandfather. Right. And he said, you'll get something out of this. And it's the book that I read once a year. You read it every year. And Are you a fast reader? Uh, yeah, but I, I, I'm a, I used to be a fast reader, but now I think I appreciate books more for what they're worth than yes. what I used to. Because when you're younger, last when you're, week. When you're into a book, yeah, when you're into a book as well, though, yep. I think you tend to read through it a lot quicker but when you get older you start to uh i think understand the book a lot more and i understand this book cover to cover um but there's a lot of parallels with my life okay. uh, in this book so I hope, have you read it before long 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 time ago well i hope you enjoy it again so oh there's ladies and gentlemen it's been signed well that's just a little touch okay oh nice little touch Thank yeah you. that's the little things did you yeah. write did and you that, sign yours i did Okay. And right, the handwriting is like a... It's very doctor, think, isn't it? Think of your prescription from Yeah, it's doctor. terrible. No, no, mine's bad too. Rightio. All right. So let's, let's get it. Maybe put that paper to one side so it doesn't rustle while we... Oh, the bossy driver. Yeah. Oh, I just don't want it to yeah. distract. Okay, so I, I don't know much about you, Anita. I think the, the beauty of the podcast that I do is the fact that I don't research too much the people that get in the car. Um, why don't we start with where you were born, okay. uh, sure. where you grew up, and where you, where you did your schooling and that sort of stuff. Okay. And if you don't mind, I'll throw questions as we go. Sure. Can I do a little bit of an intro in my Wiradjuri language? Please. Oh, that'd be awesome. Okay. Yes. So, uh, let's imagine I'm at a lectern or somewhere. Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Oh, no, just for your listeners. You're a Dimarang. Uh, you and do Yanada Heist, Baladu Wiradjuri Geelong, Rampichi Bull, Brangli Bull, Mia Gandhi, Bala Williams, Yinji Maratu, Gadigal Ghoul, Wongal Ghoul, Eora Ghoul, Main Ghoul. So what I've said is, hello everyone, g'day, my name's Anita Heiss and I have Wiradjuri belonging from Arambi and Brungle Missions in central New South Wales. 
I'm a Williams and I've paid my respects to the traditional owners of the country here in Sydney where we are driving right now, the Gadigal and Wongal people of the Eora Nation and uh, the Gadigal and Wongal were just two of 29 clan groups, Aboriginal clan groups in the city of Sydney. Did you know that in Greater Sydney? I reckon we'll get into that. We'll All get right. into that. Oh, anyway, so that's who I am. So I grew up in I grew up on Bidjigal country, Darrell land out near La Perouse, Matraville. Okay. Was, was it... When you grew up, was it as it obviously wasn't as established as what it is now. Oh no, the what was suburb. It like? What was it like growing up in oh, La Perouse? Well, I grew up in Mato, which is you know not far from La Perouse, but we had the Matraville Skyline Drive-in that my mother wow. worked at for sixteen years, and that didn't on my sixteenth birthday it was closing down. So I used to toddle off. We used to go the drive-in all the time back in the day when it was you know kids walked to and from school and yeah, rode their bikes. Yeah, and, neighbors you know, had a key to the the house, and everyone played footy and cricket in the street. And um, far, yeah, far removed from that now. So different sure. now. Like, you know, you would go and knock, saying, if you got home from school, you walked home, and mum, if mum wasn't, which is very rarely, you would go and everyone was auntie and uncle. Yeah. And you would just go and sit in auntie Edna's kitchen until, you know, whatever. So uh, I had a great childhood out there in, in Matraville, which for those of you listening who don't know, it's bound by Malabar Sewerage Works, Orica Industrial Estate, and, and Long Bay Jail. <laughs> It's the perfect setting for... locations. <laughs> Listen, I, I can't even afford to buy there now. Um, green. doesn't get any greener than that. I know, but I'm, I'm, I'm enthralled by your, well, you know, your childhood. You're, but, only, you're only human. Well, there we go. Um, did you have... Do you have siblings? I am one of five. Okay. Where, where are you in the, in the list? I am the second eldest. Okay. And yep. what have you got? Brothers, sisters? How's it roll? An elder sister, a younger sister, then two younger brothers. Okay. And what do they do now? Our elder sister cares for mum. My younger sister works for the kindergarten union, KU. She runs Aboriginal programs at KU. Um, Mark works for, is a scholarships manager for the Go Foundation, which is the Adam Goods Michael Lachlan Foundation. Oh, yes, okay. Yeah, wow. and Joseph is a postie. Awesome. So yeah. it's quite an eclectic mix. Yeah, we're all doing different things. Everybody has an important role. What but was it like growing up, though, with your siblings? Were, you know, tell me about that. Tell yeah, me how. We were, t- we were a very tight knit family. And everybody sat around the dinner table to eat. You didn't know television on when TV, like everybody wow. ate the same meal. None of this preparing three different things for three different, you know, tastes. Okay. Nobody was allergic to anything back in those days, right? Oh, don't, so, don't get me started on allergies, but yeah, okay. Yeah, so we went all went to St Andrews Primary School at Malabar, and then the boys went to Morris Brothers at Pagewood in high school, and Gazella and I went to St Clair's at Waverley, and uh, my older sister went to Bridget and Randwick. So going to St Clair's though. Yeah. Was that something that was, I mean, I, again, I'm, I'm having grown up in Adelaide, mm. uh, for an Aboriginal girl going to St. Clair's, were there any other Aboriginal girls at St. Clair's? There was another girl in my year and there was somebody in year 11 or 12 at the time when I started, but essentially it was my sister and I for most of the time. It's completely different now, Yeah. but back in the day, most, you know, we were the only Cory kids in the primary school. Um, was there and, a stigma attached with Aboriginal children at school? Uh, for when I was in primary school, so I've written a book yep. called, a memoir called Am I Black Enough For You? And it talks about, goes through my whole, it's about around identity. And it goes through, talks about when I was in primary school and things that would said to me on the playground. For example, um, if my older sister said, oh, my younger sister, she can count to 100. And so I counted to 100. And the other girl said, wow, you're a really good, you're a really good counter for an abo. Right. And so I, back in the day, um, I didn't, I knew that that was a bad word, but I, you know, I was five years old. So I remember the next day to go up to school. So I was a dibber dobber, but I, I say it was my, the beginning of my fighting racial vilification as a child. 
Um, and I used to get Abo Boon Chocolate Drop and Cocoa Pop from the state school kids walking home from school, boys, um, and when I was very young. But that wasn't, and you know, a couple of times that happened in the classroom, but it was dealt with very quickly. Uh, well, I'm pleased to say the school dealt with those episodes very, very quickly. And that's in the 70s. But when I went to high school, you know, you behaved like a Christian. You didn't, you know, you, that, that being disrespectful, bullying, being racist was not tolerated. And we had a very, even back in the day at my school, there was, in, you, in my year, Greeks, Italians, you know, Vietnamese, Chinese, English, you know, we had everybody. We had a real multicultural mix. And I went to that school before my younger sister because my father, we have, um, my father came out from Austria with a group of other Aboriginal men. Is that, well, where, the, is that, where, the, is that where the yeah, heist comes from? Yeah, sorry. Yep, okay. You can't from Austria like that. So I'm really going to change my name because, of course, it means hot. Of course it does. And so the, doc- so the kids in classrooms, they call me Dr. Hot. So wow. we, they all think that's hilarious, wow. right? Or Professor Hot. Keep running with that. Yeah, yeah, I don't know what good. Patterson means, but it certainly doesn't mean yeah, hot. Maybe warm. Yeah. Maybe yeah. Tepid. <laughs> Probably tepid, actually. Lukewarm. Yeah, oh, oh, easy. <laughs> Just keep going with your story. Anyway, and so the daughter um, of one of my my well, mum's best friend, Annie Phyllis Kanoa, Bernadine, she went to that school and just blitzed it, like top the state and everything. So they assumed that I was going to go and do the same thing. Of course, I got suspended twice. But, what um, were you suspended for? I was suspended, suspended, uh, suspended in your eight because they went through our lockers and took up our diaries, which, like, I mean, I look back now going, nobody would be allowed to do that no, now, right? Yeah. But, of course, back in the day, you know, your parents were just happy that, that you were at this good school and, and they read in something in my diary, which was actually, you know what I got in trouble for? Blaspheming. I got suspended for blaspheming. Really? Yes. For saying, Jesus well, Christ, okay. something, something, something gives me the SHITs. And so I got in trouble. I got suspended for that. That was bad. And then the next suspension was... When, I used to go to school dances at Marcelin, Randwick and Brook Street, St. Bridges at Brook Street. I used to go to school dances back in the day, right? And I never touched a drop of alcohol. Everybody else <laughs> did, right? The one time I did it. You got caught. Yeah. Oh, we all got suspended. That was that was a really bad moment, dark moment in my teenage years. Because your parents talk about not being able to trust you anymore. And yeah. That's the terrible thing, right? So, it's a lot different now, though. But No, because now everyone's on drugs. Oh, don't say that. I've got, I've got, I'm so glad I haven't got, got kids. I've got two girls. I've got nine and 13-year-old yeah. daughters. So. Listen, and they're all got social media and doing things that, you know. Yeah, it's crazy. Kids that don't think sex is sex. I'm going, oh, actually, that's sex. Now, you talk about those those names that you were given. And can I tell you honestly, I grew up in South Australia. Yeah. And I grew up in Salisbury. Salisbury, okay. Where there was a, a large Aboriginal population. Mm-hmm. It's, it's quite it's quite renowned for, and I played football uh, at Salisbury with the Wanganeen okay, family yep, yep. and obviously Gavin went on to play yep. at Essendon and won a Brownlow medal phenomenal football Eddie Hocking and all of these uh, these other sorts of uh, uh, great sports people at the time and I can say this and I'm ashamed to say it right now though some of those names I used when I was a child mm. because I didn't know any better yeah. and my parents mm. used to throw they were throwaway lines yeah. and when I feel, were you born? 71. Okay, right. So, so I feel, I feel yeah. quite ashamed that yeah. um, when you mention them, I actually feel quite, uh, I actually felt really ashamed. And that's probably not the word for it, to be honest. And yeah. I try to tell my daughters now, because my daughter, when she goes to school at St. Andrews, she knocks around with everybody. She yeah, doesn't yeah. care what colour, yeah. what, what, what race, what, what, she doesn't care. She just, they both, they both don't care. Whereas when I grew up, it was the white kids against the Italians, against the Greeks against the Aboriginals, and it was always like that through primary school and high school. You know where that's from? 
though because it's not that it's not that your girls or anybody else's kids today are any different because kids actually are the same what's different kids learn those terms from adults I totally right agree. so totally they agree. walk nobody's born racist it comes from the home and they take it to the school because the playground is a microcosm of the greater world yep. outside right so um now you just reminded me of something that I was thinking I we're going to Bondi and I when we get there I've got stories for you for that. Awesome. All right. So excited about that. Well, well, I'll ask you about those stories. So what did it, what, what, when you first heard those words <gasps> when you were five? That's okay, what I was going to tell you. So it's in, talking about this now because I, I did a, there was a, I was on the NITV last night with a big interview with which is the um, uh, National Indigenous Television yes, okay. on SBS Channel Thirty Four with Carla Grant. And talking about my life, talking about my work and so forth. And I, it's funny because I was saying to Carla, that moment on the playground, the boys the, the boys that used to sing out across the road when I walked home and I'd be go home in tears and I was a kid, right? There's moments in our lives that stay with us forever yeah. for whatever reason. But I never forgot that. I, they've stayed with me and I realised doing a radio interview at 38 in Melbourne and I was outside the studio, outside, outside the ABC studio and the people before me were talking about bullying and then I was on the ne- I was next on the air and, and the broadcaster said, you know, were you ever bullied? And I thought, you know, it's interesting. That is That was a form of bullying. I was bullied by those boys and so forth and you don't, it wasn't called bullying in those days. It was racism but it's also a form of bullying. Yeah. And then I realised while I was talking to him, I don't even remember what book I was touring but um, that a lot of my life has been about reacting to the language that non-Indigenous people use for us, you know, and, and writing stories around positive stereotypes and writing stories from a position of excellence. So that example about, oh, you're a good counter for an abo, that, that, that comment comes from this belief that Aboriginal people can't be smart. Yeah, and that's, right? that's a sad reflection of society no yeah. matter where we look. Yeah. Um, when, you, when you heard that and you're obviously offended by it, uh, you, you were five, you said it the first time you heard yeah. those, those, those names, yeah. which is obviously a bad thing. Yeah. You said that was the turning point for you about your vilification. Well, no. Now, when I look back now, I look back and I think, well, I didn't know what vilification was then. No, I was five. No. But I look back now and I go, I knew that that was wrong. I knew that people shouldn't speak like that to other people. And, uh, and so I, for want of a better word, dobbed on them to, you... to my mum and so she's gone up to the school and the teacher's gone like point out who said it and then in, when something happens in another when I was in about year two or three um, somebody said something in the classroom but everybody's mothers knew everybody back then the classes were small mothers played tennis together did yoga together and I know and everyone was Catholic it was a Catholic school everyone went to church together we used to clean the church and all that sort of thing and so I remember mum rang up this person's this boy's mother and you know everybody's once it's pointed out People are ashamed, they're embarrassed, they're upset, and they want to, not always, but back then, I know that like that his mother was horrified yeah. and said, you need to apologise to Anita. Now, he probably didn't even know what he was apologising for because you know, I remember using a swear word when I was a kid and, oh, my parents went off their head. It, 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 it's a bad word. Well, it, it, whatever. It's a, it's a word that is not good for young kids to use, right? Yeah. And I didn't, but I didn't know what it meant. I just heard someone else say it, and they, and then I, I said, oh, we were, this happened, and someone said dropped the said it was the C bomb, yeah, okay. and my parents were horrified. I don't even know how old I was. Maybe I was eight, 
and like you never ever say that again and of course my sister did something one day and I said oh you're a you're a c-bomb and my mother said you need to go and tell your father and I still didn't know what I was saying so I went out and I said to dad he was in the garage he was a carpenter he worked seven days a week uh, uh mum sent me out here to tell you that I just called gazelle this and he was like like in my face you would never ever say that but I still didn't know what, you know what I mean? So there's lots of kids that use, say, racist things. When you that, say those words now, though. Which words? The, the, the when, C-bomb. No, 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 C-bomb, I mean, that gets thrown around. When you use those, those uh, the terms that we use for an Aboriginal yep. person, which yeah, is, yeah. it's not even... Uh, but they're ugly. The, uh, they so, sound so, ugly. I go, how can you say that and not even hear that it sounds ugly? My question to you now is, yeah, when yeah. you hear that now, yeah. oh, do you still hear that now? Uh, I don't. No one's going to say that to my face. No, no, no. Right? I respect. But that. I work in classrooms where other where kids will say that they hear it. And when you hear, so it some, hasn't changed. When you hear someone else say it, what does it make you feel now? It makes me feel gutted that we're still having conversations around, um, you know, appropriate language, but also around that and racism. Yeah. That racism is still very. I think this country has wonderful, wonderful elements to it. Um, but we have an underbelly of racism and xenophobia and that needs to be challenged and it needs to be challenged by non-Indigenous people when they hear racist terms. It's just as men need to challenge other men when they hear misogynistic and sexist uh, yeah, terms. So if I'm more. in a room with a man and with a group of men on a board or whatever and somebody says something sexist, it's up to other men in the room to actually remedy that. Yeah. And so... Uh, and I learned that from Dale Spender when she, I got in, invited to run for the board of the Australian Society of Authors. I said, listen, I don't want to be the person that everybody turns to me every time something Aboriginal is mentioned at, in the board meeting. And she was like, Anita, it's exactly the same with me. Bloody, 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 you're not responsible for you know knowing everything, answering everything and so forth. So, And it's the same thing. So listen, okay, we, 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 we've done primary school. Yep. We go to high school to Sinclair's. Yep. What was high school life like? High school was... Yeah, now, where, where were you living then? I was living, I was still living in Matriville. Okay, in so Matriville you, you all were my getting, life until I moved to Brisbane, pretty much. Yeah. You were getting to school. How were you getting to school? Oh, my God. I was getting a walking to Matriville Hotel to get the 6.14 at 7.30 in the morning. That got me to the gates in, uh, I think it was Charles Street in Waverley, outside the, the school at about 5 to 8. And then in the afternoon, I would get the bus from Waverley College to uh, Marsland College, Randwick. Uh, and get another bus from there, the 6.92 to Malabar, and walk home. What time are you leaving home? Uh, quarter past seven in the morning. And getting home? Mm, quarter past four, past four. Did you enjoy school life? Yeah, I think so, yeah. What was the highlight of your school life then? Oh my God, the highlight. Mm, I'll take that one on notice. Okay, so, okay, do you still have friends from school that you stay in contact with? I recently was up on the Sunshine, on, on just a couple of friends on Facebook, and I was recently up on the Sunshine Coast and had breakfast with a girl that I hadn't seen for like forever. But we, you know, always try to connect. I live in Brisbane now, so it's a bit easier, but it was just like old times. And, I, and one of my dearest friends bought around the corner from my mum's house, and so technically I could walk there, but we haven't, you know, we try to organise coffee and everything, but... Uh, but yeah. I don't, I mean, every people have kids. I don't have kids, but people have kids and that they've got things and, and I'm on the road all the time. 
Um, but there's very few people that I feel the need to keep in contact yeah, with because okay. we have different lives, you know. Now, leaving high school, what did you do from there? I did an, uh, an undergraduate degree at the University of New South Wales with a BA in BA honours in history and a major in political science. Then I went to Canberra, well, I did my three years and I went to Canberra for 12 months. And were mum and dad funding all this? Uh, no, I worked five nights a week at Matrilar RSL. <laughs> Is that right? Um, uh, yes. And then... Well, okay, just on that one. I lived know. at home. I paid, I don't know. Yeah, no, I remember sure. paying $20 a week board and saying to my father when he asked for $20 a week board, you had children. You're meant to raise them. He goes, listen, you're old enough to have your own kids right now. Um, and I told you. can pay your way. $20. And you know how many drinks that can buy me at the RSL? Anyway, or the Seals Club. Oh, is that right? Rupert Seals. Were, um, were there, were there, was there a stigma with you working at the club? Did you ever no. have oh. people? <gasps> well, not at Matto. I worked at Matro RSL Club. And then I went backpacking and whatever for four months. When I came back, I, I'd, I'd finished my honours degree. And I couldn't, like, I was back six weeks before I got a real job, as it were. But I went over to Bronte RSL to work there. And I lasted there about six weeks because the chair of the board at the time, or a boardman, it comes up to ask for a black beer. And he asks for a schooner of nigger. And I'm at the bar and I'm looking around and I'm thinking... Like, why isn't anybody saying this? So I, I go to someone else and say, you need to serve this person. Yeah. Because I said to him, I'll serve you a beer if you ask for a black beer or reshes or whatever it was, right? But I'm not serving you for that. And he goes, he's, he's like, well, nobody else has a problem. I said, I don't care what anybody else has a problem with. So then I have to go and tell the, the general manager, I said, like, there's going to be a complaint from so-and-so. And he goes, well, you know, he's the chair. I go, I don't care. But that was, and then, so that then when he leaves, so this is 1992, when he leaves the bar other people who drink with him are going oh yeah it's good you said something but nobody else nobody said else anything right time. yeah so i go there's, there's my job i'm gonna lose my job now day two on the job uh the next day he came and apologized so obviously he was spoken to but that was completely normal in that space when, when you hear that word though that's it that just goes into the same pot as the other ones oh of it? course i mean that they're all disgusting when i when I, the book Am I Black Enough for You, part of that is about a court case I was in against Andrew Bolt. Have you heard of Andrew Bolt? I have heard of Andrew Bolt. Right, so I was in a court case, federal court case, with a number of other um, claimants, and um, I used and to what get was that, so that what, was what around was... him writing two articles. He wrote a series of articles, but one of them that particularly that I was in, where he misrepresented me and 18 other people in this article about Aboriginal people, high-achieving, um, high-profile Aboriginal people in the arts, their lawyers and so forth, basically saying that we chose our identity for the purpose of political and financial gain and then listed three jobs that I had. None of them were identified. One was voluntary. said I'd landed these plum jobs at Koori Radio, which was voluntary. One was as a communications advisor at the Australia Council, which was not identified. And I had a PhD in communications and media, which you didn't mention. And one was at the university, uh, oh, sorry, Macquarie University. And so uh, when I, we go to court under the, under the, taken to court under the Race Discrimination Act because, because mediation didn't work. All we wanted was for them to take the articles offline this went for two years, articles offline and for apology, for an apology. Wow. So he was claiming free speech. I said, listen, I used to chair the Australian Society of Authors. Everybody's got free speech. Yeah. I've got free speech. You've got free speech. You can say whatever you want. But defamation's different. Well, you can't lie. You can't tell untruths. And if you can't persecute people, we have a Racial Discrimination Act which says you cannot incite racial hatred, right? So he, he writes these articles 
meet the new white face of black australia and it's hip to be black they're online they're syndicated around the world and then all this race hate appears all over his blog i'm getting emails calling me every nigger under the sun um, when you say that word though you, you say it so flippantly i'm not saying it flippantly i'm saying it because this is how it's true i'm sorry i don't mean obviously no I no no, no. I, know, I know but that. i'm saying that, what i was if you let me finish I was going to say, so I get all these emails saying, because now I'm all fired up because it makes me angry. And I, I, right? and I, I, it should. So it makes, so I wake up and I'm getting all this race hate going, calling me things, names, like, and what if I came to, and they can't spell these people, right? Yeah. So one minute they say, you're not really black. And the next minute they call you the N word. And I'm like, make up your mind. But what, so this is really interesting about identity national identity in this country and indigenous identity where non-indigenous people think they can give you they can call you abo or whatever call you an abo so they tell you who you are yep. and in the next breath they give you the identity next minute they'll go but you're only half cast yeah. so then they take half the identity away right now i did this exercise that i saw michael mcdaniel do when we toured across the us and that was asking people in a room so uh to put your hand up if you identify for instance in australia you, go, you identify as Australian. You go overseas, someone says, who are you, go Australian? And, you know, 85% of people put their hands up. I go, can you leave your hand up or put your hand up again if your, uh, if your heritage includes English, Irish, Japanese, Malaysian, Indian, American, Hungarian, whatever. And then a large number of people again put their hands up because over 50 percent of australians have at least one parent born overseas right so their hands go up and i go for the people who put their hands up twice look at that sky yeah, it's beautiful, it? for the people who put their hands up twice would you up. would you say it's fair is it fair to say that you have one identity that of being australian with many heritages yep and they go yeah that's fair i go well i never hear non-indigenous australians say yeah i'm part australian because my mother was born in greece i'm part australian because my father and all my family come from ireland right so white fellows are allowed to have one identity with many heritages we're being told we're quarter half you know all this yeah, crap okay and that we're straddling two worlds we're not allowed to become cosmopolitan because we're not allowed to change we're going to run static so when we evolve and change and become cosmopolitan we're being told we're watering down our bloodlines I love, I love the fact that you're so emotive about this because it, it's... You can't really see it as well as... No, you can't. We'll, we, we'll do another lap. We'll come back around. I need to tell you something about, about, about Bondi Beach. That's better. You know, do you know the... Um, so I had a lot of my youth here. Okay. My teenage years. My father built the change rooms in the Bronny Surf Club back in the day. He built the change rooms in the Bondi Pavilion. He built the skateboard ramp here. No way. He was the my father had never had an injury at work. His first injury ever was falling off a skateboard ramp, breaking his arm. Right, and he worked down here for years and years and years and years and years um, at the pavilion and the ramp. And he used to talk about what was his name? I think it was George was the lifesaver. And my father would never borrow him. He never borrowed money ever. Right? If you didn't have cash, you couldn't you, afford you it. You went without it. Yeah. yeah. So if he left his wallet at home, he would go without that day. Right? But Mum always packed his lunch. Always. So he'd have like a yogurt, a, a black bread sandwich, very European, and a piece of fruit and some treat. What, what is a black bread sandwich? Well, like a well, dark rye bread. Right. Oh, right. Um, and and some sort of treat. Now, the funny thing is he used to say, oh, Elsie, when I fight with Elsie, she sends me to work with yoga without a spoon, right? That's, which is not true. She never did it on purpose. But what I was going to tell you, so one Valentine's Day, I taught my father 
about Valentine's Day and, and, and Tiffany's. Anyway, and one he left his wallet at home, which is also rare, and he borrowed twenty dollars, which was a lot of money back then, oh, back yeah, in the day. Absolutely. To buy um That was board. To buy sorry? That was your board. That was my board. That was even before then. This is like in the seventies and eighties, <laughs> early eighties. Anyway, so he borrowed twenty dollars to buy my mum some like single rose and little teddy bear for Valentine's Day. But pri- which is just cool. I never forgot that. But prior to that, when I was in primary school, I remember I used to wait down the street with some flowers and chocolates to give to dad, to give to mum. Wow. I'm a hopeless romantic. Yeah. The, the fact that your father has, you know, I don't know whether the, the, the items are still there and they're, they're, they're natural or they're, they're old state, being the skate park and what have you. Mm. Uh, did you want me to stop here while I take another photo? Uh, no, I need you sure you're okay? I, need uh, uh, I think I'll do another one, thank you. We need to tell people we're actually stopping so I can get a photo of the extraordinary sky. It's just amazing. But I love clouds. Look at that. Yeah, that's lovely. Okay, yeah. so you, you had you, my youth down here. Yeah, you had your youth down in Bondi and, and Bronte. And Bronte. So we speak about the fact that you've, you've finished stuff. high school yep. and you've gone to university. Yep. Uh, what you what were you studying in university? University undergrad was uh, English, Auslit history and political science and I did, did you know what you wanted to do at that point i thought i wanted to be a journalist but i wasn't interestingly back then um obviously it was journalism was very limited because we didn't have online magazines we didn't have like blogs and all that sort of thing we have now and i think back in the day the sydney morning herald had like 12 cadetships for the whole state or something or probably nationally and you need virtually needed the same mark for communications that you needed for medicine so, I um, mean, I did all right in the HSC and I went to UNSW and I thought, well, I don't want to do a teaching degree, but I'll do a degree where I learn some skills around research and writing and then I can tack on, you know, education if I need to after that. And so it was at, in doing my degree, my arts degree, that I learned how to research and how to interview and do things like that. Always oh, doing tickets. And so... Um, and then I decided to do a PhD uh, when I was – I went to Canada in 1995 and I stayed on the Mohawk Reserve. What was that like? Amazing. So that's a place called Gunawage. It's 10 minutes from downtown Montreal. Uh, French-speaking, Mohawk-speaking, English-speaking. And it's like a little country town. It's contained with, you know, own police force, own fire brigade, little hospital that can manage certain things. And are they, are they classed as Indigenous? Yeah, yeah, they're, so yeah. they're First Nations. And so I've still, I'm still friends with people from there. I got a message from someone yesterday. And um, so I've been that back there a number of times. But while I was there, I worked there for six weeks, and then I went to the National Native Newspaper, and they call it Native Newspaper, when... Uh, Wind speaker and sweet sweet grass, well sweet grass as they say it. And while I was there, I decided I wanted to do a PhD and learn about our publishing, Indigenous publishing here in Australia. So I came back and I enrolled in a PhD at the University of Western Sydney, which is now called Western Sydney University. Yep. And um, and best thing I ever did in terms of um, work and and learn. Well, one of the worst things in terms of learning because I'm still passionate about that. And um, yeah, and so then that's what I did. And then I, what did I do after that? So um, university, you finished your degree. Finished my degree. Then I got a role, um, a part-time role at the Australia Council for the Arts as a communications advisor at the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Arts Board doing media and events and, and so forth and magazine work and so forth and loved that and did that for a few years. And then 
I was it was it common for an Aboriginal girl to be working in these areas? Uh well, in the team that I worked in in the arts board, the I would say more than half the team were Aboriginal. Wow. And or Torres Strait Islander, yeah. Um, and so. And why were why were they so progressive compared to other? Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, because we've been singing, dancing, painting, and telling stories since the beginning of time. Yeah. So, um, and then see my father, he worked in there. He worked in those change rooms in there. Well, there they're, you go. they're doing them all up I, at the moment. I don't think they're open. No, they're they're renovating at the moment. Okay, so we're going to let this lady cross the road. Yeah, all, okay, we'll but do. it's still it's still busy down here for an autumn. Are we in autumn or autumnal oh, autumnal afternoon? I live in Brisbane. We have like two weeks of winter. When I got there, it's twenty degrees, and I'm still in like a sleeveless dress, and 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 people have log fires burning in West End. Yeah, and the women are in boots and gloves and scarves. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, this is the only chance we get to wear, you know, winter clothes, which wear, is wear true. Your mink coat. Well, there's no minks, I hope. No, probably, but, maybe um, not. So fur. So, post-university, yes. you get a job. Yep. Where did, where did your career go from there, and when did you start writing novels? Okay, so my first book came out in 1996. What was that called? That was called Sacred Cows. What was that? What, is the, what is the meaning of that? That was looking at a whole heap of Australian sacred cows, Skippy, Vegemite, the Backyard Barbecue. <laughs> oh my God, It was Skippy. a social commentary because, and it was in reaction to the fact that every book I got off the shelf in my degree, my undergrad degree at UNSW, about anything to do with Aboriginal people, uh, nearly every book was written by a non-Aboriginal person, and many of those books were written by people from overseas. So, did they um, have any idea about the true Aboriginal heritage or culture? Uh, well, they, it varied, but I mean, there were a couple of books by by our own mob, like Kevin Gilbert and the late Kevin Gilbert, late Ujiru Nunakal. But essentially, what triggered it was I got this book off the shelf one day, uniquely titled Australian Aborigines, and it was written by someone in the UK. It was based on letters from someone in the new colony of New South Wales, and he would write these letters back to the UK, and he'd say, oh, today we did this with the natives, and today we did that with the natives. And one day, and he'd write the letter and he'd send it back to Britain. And then one day, five Aboriginal men took this fella hunting, and they left him for a short period of time, and only four came back. So he assumed they ate the fifth one, and writes this letter back to Britain saying the natives are cannibals, because five went away and four came back so obviously they ate the fish. So the one. perception was one goes missing therefore they're, they're they cannibals. ate them right right so you know I was telling this mob today like when I speak in schools and I go it's insane you go out for morning tea one doesn't come back I'm not going to assume you <laughs> ate them. We've eaten them yeah. And we can laugh because it's ridiculous but what's what the issue with it is that that moment in time he recorded as a moment in history right and then People are reading this book as a history book, and then I get it off the shelf a hundred years later to at the library at the university. And how many people had read that, thinking that cannibalism was part of Aboriginal culture? And like therefore, therefore, it's set in concrete. And therefore, you know, so we die, we take our opinions and our with us, but the written word and the podcast lasts forever. And so we have a responsibility, whether we're writing novels, or whether we're writing newspaper articles or whatever. We have a responsibility, in my view, to make sure our listeners and make sure our readers um, know that what they're getting is re- fully researched and then it's and, and it's the truth. So, what, what was the receptiveness to your, your first novel? Well, that wasn't a novel. That was social commentary. Okay. Well, it was interesting because all the reviewers were white middle-class men in newspapers, so they didn't like it, but they weren't the audience either. And I was just trying to make a statement. I didn't know I was going to write any more. Then I went on to write a novel for 
scholastic about the stolen generations and that's been translated into French, Farsi, Mandarin and Spanish and actually Kevin Rudd wrote the foreword to the Mandarin version and that's came out 20 years ago this year and is still taught in schools. So the stolen generation for those that don't know what's the what's the quick synopsis of that for okay so there were around the country every state and territory until the 1967 referendum had legislated in different ways for aboriginal people so they you know what you may be a curfew in new south wales in the 1960s that didn't exist in victoria whatever so every state and territory had different legislation and, and every state and territory had a different act related to protection as a for one okay. of them which is what it was called which allowed government agencies the church the police to remove aboriginal children from their biological families and place them in institutions or into um, non-indigenous homes with the idea that one um, they'd have a better life and that it also had assisted the policy of assimilation which was written in 1937 so my grandmother my mum's mum she was removed to Cootamundra aboriginal girls home at the age of about five or six and she assuming that was the best thing for her that was a domestic training home where she was went with her sister and that was a domestic training home that taught aboriginal girls how to sew and cook and clean and boys would go to places like kinchula boys home and so forth and the darker kids would go to a home like an institution because eventually you know the idea was the blackfellas would eventually die out so the fairer skinned children would be fostered into white families and eventually they would you know um they would breed out you know and so because it was all about blood quantum and what we looked like and so forth so the idea was um that novel was about about a young girl in 1937 who was taken from uh, from her family to Bomaderry Aboriginal Children's Home, where that home down in Bomaderry, that was an infant's home where babies were taken from their mothers in the hospital, straight from the hospital to no, the home. No questions asked. No questions. No, and then and and if there were any old on that, children's names would be changed so the family couldn't find them. And so, um, did it, were any of those kids ever reunited with their there, family? There are there were reunions. And when I was researching, what's interesting is when I was researching that novel. <sighs> Like, I think my generation is the angry generation because we're so distressed about how our old people were treated, yeah. right? Just to so, like, like our life was worth nothing and, and, and no power and no freedom. And actually, my mum and I had a distressing moment when one of my books came out, Token Curry, in 1998. And she said, I need, she didn't like what I was saying about assimilation and, and the and, and the observer's gaze of white people and anthropologists and so forth and it was awful I mean I was crying she was crying and then I realized it she didn't she never had a voice she never had the rights to say anything you know because she so was she upset at you she for she was, voicing she, she, her no no she was worried that I'd said all these things but what she didn't understand is that we were allowed to, Mum, we're allowed to say things. We're allowed to have an opinion. We're allowed to call out racism. We're allowed to have good jobs. We don't need to be grateful for being... But in her know, time, in you her, weren't allowed to. In her to. time. Well, she wasn't a citizen in this country until 1967 because Aboriginal people weren't counted on the census until 1967, right? So she didn't have the right to vote until she was 1967. So, um, and she was 29 years old. So, you know, uh, part of my writing is about recognizing I have a privilege in my community because I have or I, I've been learning my language at the age of 50 uh, a language that my mother wasn't allowed to speak yeah you know so so back to the so, so the reunion thing so I'm reading all these works all these testimonies I read the bringing them home report which is testimony of 666 individuals and institutions and so forth and you read about and I've read 
uh, you know, a whole lot of stories about reunions and the joy in people finding their family. And even today, people, because people finding their family. And because part of those policies of protection and assimilation were to, was to remo you remove the child, you disconnect them from their family, which means you also disconnect them from their country, you disconnect them from culture and spirituality and language, which essentially leads to disconnecting them from their identity and people yeah. not knowing who they are. And so... Does that still happen now? There's more Aboriginal children, I understand, in out of out of home care now than there was during the height of the stolen generation. So there's more Aboriginal children being removed now. What does that say? Through where well, it says that um, the system still controls Aboriginal lives. And Is it better than what it was? I don't think you can, I don't think you can say, no. No, I don't think it is. I said, you, what does it tell us? It tells us nothing's been learned. Yeah. So you okay? You write you're writing novels. Writing novels. What so, sort of feedback are you getting from from those books? Yeah. So I do a whole lot. Like I've got I've got Sex in the City like books as well. So I've got you've heard of Bridget Jones. Yes. Yes. You've heard of Carrie Bradshaw. Yes. I'm like Corey Bradshaw. So I've got <laughs> books it. set in, but all the main characters. It's about actually placing us in the literary landscape as we are today. So a third of the uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander population live in cities. You know, we're the largest Aboriginal population is in Greater Western Sydney. And so, but I you wouldn't, know that. yeah, well, you wouldn't know that if you only watched the news or read the papers. So, I like to write stories that position us in an international space because we have artists with artwork all around the world. We've got half of the Musée du Quai Branly in Paris is, is artwork gifted from the Australian government, which is Aboriginal artists, Torres Strait artists. So, I have a book called Paris Dreaming. Okay. Uh, I have a book. Called... How much of your novels are a reflection of your childhood and your life? Um, are there snippets of it in each of those? Yes. There's a lot of me in everything. So, well, there's a lot of me in my and my worldviews. Do you get emotional when you when you're writing these books? Do you go back and think, okay, and you make we make the point about the stolen generation yeah. and kids still being removed from families. Yeah. Do you get emotional when you're writing your books and go, okay, you know what, we, have, we haven't we haven't fixed the problem. Yeah, yeah. I cry when I write certain scenes in my new book, Billy Adundalung Duray, which also means River of Dreams. It's about the great flood of Gundagai in 1852. And there were two Aboriginal men, Yadi and Jackie Jackie, who went out on bark canoes over three days and saved 59 lives. Now, a third of that town drowned over that in that great flood after being advised early, years earlier by the local mob not to build in the floodplains because it will flood again, right? And it did, and people died. Now, it wasn't until 2017 that those men really got national recognition. I was, about, I was literally about to ask you, did they get recognition for what oh, they, they did? They got a breastplate, and I think they got some uh, towards the end, um, like much many years later, some form of pension. But they still lived on the fringes of town and were still second-class citizens and moved off their land because um, Gundagai... Uh, the locals in Gundagai and Tumut didn't want Aboriginal people, you know, loitering around town. So they set up a mission called Brungle in 1888, where most of my family are from, and they moved Aboriginal people from Tumut and Gundagai there. So, but what? It, so the, in 2017, there's a national uh, national recognition is, uh, you know, happens thanks to the Yari and Jackie Jackie Steering Committee in Gundagai, and a beautiful statue is unveiled on Sheridan Street in 2019. 
posthumous heroism awards are presented to Arnie Sonny Piper and the committee um, for these gentlemen. So um, there's this one when I when I learned, knew this story, I go, how does how does all of Australia know about these heroes? They're not just Wiradjuri heroes; they're Australian heroes. They saved Australian lives. Imagine right? if a white person did that. Yeah, they would forever be. Yes, they'd, they'd be yeah. immortalised. And you know, it's true. And you know. That flood is one of the greatest, most devastating natural disasters in Australian history. Yeah, I've never, I, I, I say, you know, I've never heard of yeah, it. Yeah, so, I'm so, not saying I'm, I'm, no, I'm no sage, I'm no, you know, I'm not an expert in many things, and but I would have thought that was an important piece of history. It is. And so, I want, so I go, I'm going to write this novel, it's going to, we ha- these people need to know about these, these men and this story kids in classrooms, book clubs, everyone is home. And then, and then, um, I, I, the move, story then moves, so it, it's a novel, so it's based on the, the true thing, that I have, but I have to move, I want to move this story to Wagga, because that's where I'm learning language, and I'm on country quite a few times a year there, and so I have this fictional char- char- character, Wagadine, who is Yari's daughter, and she goes with a white family, the Bradleys, to Wagga, under the Masters and Servants Act. Now, the Masters and Servants Act was essentially meant to protect both the masters and servants, but really only protected the masters. Right. And I had a law firm, uh, Norton Rose Fulbright, do some research for me in, around the legislation, and they said it's highly likely that Wiradjuri people lived in fear of that act. So they did as they were told because they believe because they were told that because this, you know they're the masters, white people, masters, they're the servants. So they she goes to Wagga, and there's a really heartbreaking scene where she leaves the family and there's a number of scenes that are, that I cry through and, that, and when people message me or write reviews they talk about the emotion in the story and because I'm a method writer and I imagine what would it be like if I was you know I'm saying goodbye to my family going to a place I've never I don't know we don't know where it is yeah and I don't know if I'm going to see them again you know, and it, it's like writing about the stolen generations. You know, Aboriginal parents were told the best thing you can do for your kids is give them an education. So they put the kids on the bus to go to school, and the bus never comes back, right? So these are examples of how Aboriginal kids were removed. So it's it's highly emotional. So when I wrote that novel, I the, the, who am I, the diary of Mary Talents, the earlier one, I didn't cry. I was angry the whole time. That that book finished. I did the book, and then Barrett, Rabbit Proof Fence came out. We, have you seen Rabbit Proof? Yes, yes. So that I was have. booked on. That was based on the book by the late Annie Doris Pilkington called Follow the Rabbit Proof Fence. Now, when I sat in the theatres, the cinema, just here actually, in the entertainment quarter, uh, watching this movie with my colleagues from the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Arts Board of the Australia Council, I just this I was just completely overwhelmed, and I just could not stop crying. And I realised that was that was the build-up of everything that I'd read and everything I knew in my own family history. Because I don't know, in my world, one Aboriginal family who hasn't been impacted by policies of removal yeah. in some way, shape or form. Are you still angry now? Um, I'm tired. I'm tired now. I'm, uh, I think it, the anger moves to disil- disillusionment and disappointment and... And then I have moments of fury around other things like Black Lives Matter. You know, I remember driving up from the Gold Coast for the march in Sydney, in Brisbane on the 6th of June last year with 30,000 plus people marching in Brisbane, crying the whole way, ringing, I rang Ben Law and I'm talking to him about it and I go, I'm just so 
my heart is just so broken all the time. I'm, I'm full of fury that it took the death of this African-American man in Minneapolis at, as the world watched on as the police officer killed him, George Floyd, to mobilise the world and to mobilise Australians into understanding that the Black Lives Matter movement's been here for three decades since the Royal Commission in Aboriginal Deaths in Custody. So I get, I get, I don't know, the emotions swing from that to being hopeful also because there were 30,000 people at a march, which is a big, in Queensland, which, That's has, a big number. which has a history of a really poor relationship between the police and the Aboriginal community. Who are your heroes in the Aboriginal community? I mean, I, the, the reason I ask that is because I look at people like Kathy Freeman, yep. Adam Goods, uh, you know, just to name a couple of yep. uh, sports people. Right? Yep. And I think sports that great leveller. Um, and unfortunately, sport with people like Adam Goods, with that, that huge furor over the racist mm. comments that came through the sport mm. uh, and the association of, uh, of sports people and Aboriginal sports people, it, there wasn't a, a good look for, for the white people, I suppose, and the way they they treated Aboriginal sports people. I think those two alone have done a fantastic thing for sport and for potentially bridging that gap. Who are your heroes? Okay. On, from... Well, there's a couple of things if I may pick up. So I started running in late 40s, ran my first marathon at 49. Congratulations. Wrote an, and, and inspired by Kathy Freeman. She, okay. I wrote a novel about Kathy Freeman. So that's called Our Race for Reconciliation, about a girl who wants to be Kathy Freeman. I'm an ambassador for Adam Goods's Foundation, the Go Goods O'Loughlin Foundation. So, so what, what is? And I'm, uh, yeah, I mean, so that's a Mickey O'Loughlin, Adam Goods. I mean, phenomenal sports yeah. people. What is the Go Foundation? So that is a foundation that actually promotes uh, education and support for Indigenous students in education. Um, in short, scholarships and so forth, and mentoring and so forth. How many people have they? Oh, I think over five hundred students have been helped there because Michael wow. and Adam both come from families where education is uh, expected and is um, encouraged. So they are amazing in terms of, you know, being in the space where they talk to, you know, the young students and they're in high school and they're going to university. So um, so I think, um, I think your listeners should actually most definitely watch The Final Quarter, which is a documentary about Adam um, and the media around the time in those last final few years of his career and, and how sad it was to see him leave the game on such... In such a, an appalling um, yeah, way, right. and and when you watch that, I mean, I've watched that three times now. I watched it before it was public because it talks, you know, Andrew Bolt's in there and so forth. So I went, kind of flew down to Sydney and I watched it at the Shark Island Studios, and I sat there and I in the dark, and I just sobbed because one of the things I felt in that space was that I'm in a room watching on a movie, and I felt unsafe. Really? Right, so I thought I can't even imagine what it was like in a stadium because there was so much venom and hate and racist hate in those spaces. Like I can't even imagine what it would have been like if you were an Aboriginal person in as a spectator even watching what was watching it go down. But there's nothing there's nothing been created new for that documentary. That documentary is based on actual footage from games and from media. So when you see it all compiled together, it is Terrible. It's, oh my god, it's so disturbing. And you watch Sam Newman look down the barrel of the lens and and just the venom that comes with it and so forth. And so I think the documentary is fantastic as a learning tool. As a, And I think uh, if I asked your listeners to do one thing, it would be to watch that documentary with someone in their life who, who, who thinks that 
what happened to Adam Goods was that was all about you know just sport and that because honestly the challenge is there to watch that and actually see what really happened and what unfolded. How often do you speak to Adam and Michael? I uh, speak to Michael probably more than Adam. Michael and I used to be on the National Aboriginal Sporting Chance Academy board together and we've done some events together um, and I have done some events obviously I've come down for the go foundation events i'm going to miss Marnbrook this weekend because i've got to go to cairns which is the okay which, which is, is the, reconciliation round of the afl yes, yeah which is phenomenal and so i'm also an ambassador for the sydney swans lovely i got to toss the coin is that right do you know how so when you haven't tossed at the Marnbrook round two years ago and do you know how difficult it is to toss a coin when you don't do it normally <laughs> i practice i rehearsed i can imagine flicking over your shoulder oh my god i was in the in the chairman's lounge or the president's lounge, whatever it is while we're having the speeches waiting to go still practicing at the table it's quite stressful you I, know i can imagine um do they see the future for aboriginal people uh the same as you do or do they, are they less hopeful are they more hopeful what oh, i can't speak for them i know i do would say that and yeah, i mentioned and my brother is their scholarships manager i would say that they um for most of us we wouldn't get out of bed and do what we do every day whether it's in education or the arts or you know engineering or whatever we wouldn't get out of bed and do what we do if we didn't believe it would make a change make a difference and they both know uh the difference that a good education can make yeah. and that's why they um they do their their scholarships they have an amazing event every year called the the big lunch um in october doing october this year where they auction off dinner with michael and adam and they auction off a whole lot of different things as well. I might auction off dinner with me. How do you think? How much money will oh, you get for that? Oh, 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 winning the lottery for there'll be people that pay a lot of money for that. Yeah. Um, what is your hope for the future, though? Uh, I want to live. What's in, your legacy? My legacy is my is my literature. My legacy is, you know, the language that I've recorded in the new book. And everybody can have a legacy. Your legacy could be doing, you know, podcasts on a whole series of issues that Australians need to be talking about, or whatever. Uh, you know, you have legacy in your daughters. Oh yeah, I was about to say so, my legacy would be my children. Yeah. But, um, okay, so yeah. so your legacy to, to to the world is, or to the Aboriginal people? Is, oh no, is to your... not just Aboriginal people, to people, to Australians. I leave my legacy is is literature and stories that speak to people's hearts and speaks to a collective sense of humanity because we all we've got more things that make us the same as humans than we have that make us different do people apologize to you now saying they don't know you know they don't know of your history and what happened to you but do they apologize to you and say listen i'm sorry for what you went through in the old days like you know when i'm in festivals lots of people would come up and say i'm so sorry i didn't know about stolen generations and so forth um, I think now, now those kind of people are more active. You know, and the theme of this year's Reconciliation Week is um, it's more than words. You know, you need to take action. So I think more people are, are more are being more active in their repentance. Okay. So they'll, you know, they participate, they collaborate, they do pro bono work, they make donations, they turn up at marches, and that's what's needed. Is there another book in the in the offing? I've got a kids novel coming out next year through Magabala called Cory Princess. We're doing an updated version of Am I Black Enough For You through Random Penguin Random House. And I've got a new novel idea that will I'll pitch in the next couple of weeks to Simon and Schuster. And my novel Titters, which is set in Brisbane and Mudgee, is being currently I've just adapted it for the stage and that 
should be on stage in March next year at La Boite Theatre in Brisbane and hopefully we can take that to Melbourne and elsewhere. So when you're casting for that, who's who's the, the up-and-coming actor, actress, I don't know what the term yeah, is yeah. anymore, who's the up-and-coming actor or actress that would, that would, uh, okay. that would fit that? Okay, well the, those women in that story are all in their 40s, turning 40, so the people I would like to have uh, include, uh, not limited to... Shari Sevens, people will know her from the Sapphires. Okay. Miranda Tapsell, also from the Sapphires and Top End Wedding. Uh, Justine Clark. Oh yeah. To yes. play, yes. Yeah, so Justine Clark uh, for one of the characters, who's also an Indigenous Literacy Foundation ambassador like myself. Um, uh, oh, Tasma Walton, as well. So I've got a list of people that I would love. You know, it all everyone's busy. Uh, it was meant to be on stage this year but COVID pushed everything back obviously so we did readings last year and workshops and so we had Shari and Justine and uh, Colin Kinchula we had Kylie Bracknell who's an amazing um, Noongar actor from WA they zoomed into the theatre wow. up in um, Brisbane and we had some local actors um, on the in the in the studio so that was interesting but wow. I'm, le- I'm not yeah, I'm learning about Theatre. Yeah, well, it's beautiful. Theatre. Uh, who are we flying with? Qantas. Okay, right So, we, we've we've soaked up an hour, and um, is anybody? Are you still awake back yeah, there? Yeah, they're still awake. They'll. Uh, I'm sure there'll be people that will get a little bit out of this. I certainly have. I, I've certainly learned a little bit more than what I thought I did uh, from speaking goal. to you. And look, if if it changes one small perspective of what I know, then I'm sure it'll change other people's perspective as well. Uh, and I've certainly learned a bit more about, uh, I guess, the ar- Aboriginal culture. Mm. Um, Many cultures. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's just limited to Aboriginal. I think it's all-encompassing. I think we're, unfortunately, there's a lot of racist people out there. And they, I, I, in their own minds, they may not think they're racist. Well, no racist thinks they're racist. But we need to celebrate difference. We need to embrace difference and diversity instead of being afraid of it and saying, well, instead of going, oh, I'm not you, I know I'm not you, and not understanding it, just go, just, and, and telling stories like we've done today. Yeah. You, I, I absolutely believe we can form connections almost everywhere by sharing stories. Absolutely. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Um, Anita, it's been awesome having you in the car. Thank you. And I really appreciate you uh, taking the time out of your day to let me drive you to the airport, the, the long way. <laughs> Thank you for my for my beautiful chauffeur-driven trip in this gorgeous Uber. <laughs> I don't know what car it is, but it's very fancy. It's a Mazda. It's a Mazda. A Mazda CX-9. Oh, are we, are we um, an ambassador? No, they want to pull their finger out because if Should not, be. it's going to be a different car soon, <laughs> I can tell you. <laughs> um, but thank you. In my language, we say manangu, so thank you for having me today. Awesome. Well, that was great. I do appreciate it. Off. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, I mean, I, it's lovely to meet you. I get to do this as a job and yeah, I, I'm, I know. I'm pretty lucky. Pretty lucky. Let me help you with the bag. Anyway. Okay, thank you. What's your big bottle of? Oh, no, it's, oh, no, I know. Keep, keep the car smelling nice. All oh, right. Well, that was Anita Heiss, and just a fantastic insight into her life. 
I think I could have spoken to her for another hour or two, but she was fantastic. I, I really appreciate the fact that she was very open, very honest, as I don't think she could any, be anything other than that. But it's interesting, isn't it, how people, people's perception of what life was like for Aboriginal people is completely different to what it actually was. And uh, I had a couple of preconceived ideas, and she absolutely dispelled those, so I'm grateful for that. Uh, Anita, your book, I can't wait to read that. I look forward to it. Billa, Yaradanga Langidare. I probably haven't got that right, but maybe you can drop me a note to say that I did. Anyway, I look forward to seeing the episode come out. I hope you enjoy this episode. It was another one in the celebrity chats on my podcast. Terribly grateful to have these people share their time, their energy, and their enthusiasm for what I'm doing. I hope you enjoy it, and I look forward to sharing another episode with you soon.